Hi, welcome to the Dan Bradbury podcast where turnover is vanity, profit is sanity, and cash is king. In this podcast, I'll bring you resources, tips, interviews, and lots more to help to grow your business and make it less dependent on you. Okay, Nick, so welcome. Uh, thank you for being here. I think probably a good bit of backstory on this one would be, would be uh, I remember the uh, uh, a meeting that we had. So we, we've worked together on and off for, is it about 10 years? Yeah, about 10 years, yeah. But I, I, my favorite story of yours and I's relationship was at a success mastermind meeting, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. I'm guessing somewhere in that time range when you were pre-sub- uh, sub seven figure revenue mm-hmm. right now you're now you're post seven figure profits which we're yeah. going to talk about but because i remember me making this big point about turnovers vanity and profit is sanity and, uh, and we had a spirited debate in front of the whole group and you're like no i just i just want to hit a million in revenue mm. and i kept emphasizing about the profit but but um uh i i don't want to say uh i was right because <laughs> maybe i'm not but i, I would be curious the business is significantly larger now and significantly more profitable, but it's an interesting place to start. What's your perspective of when you look back on your business mindset back then versus now? In fact, actually strike that hold up thought, Nick. We probably should intro by saying, uh, let's tell everybody about what your core business is and what it does. Oh, sure. Okay. So uh, I run Animas Center for Coaching, uh, which is a, as as it says on the tin, a coaching school. So we train coaches in the field of life coaching, executive coaching, corporate coaching. And we have a number of kind of sister schools and sister brands coming on board, like shortly, one of them already active, teaching coaching supervision, but it's all within that kind of coaching field. And it's really just a a training company, but obviously with a certain set of values and, and niches. Right. And I also know that, again, in multiple uh, uh, different countries now, which is interesting, which we may yeah. get to. But so I suppose now it's it's uh, scurry background. So uh, when we first started working together, uh, um, the school had a different name back then, but yes. uh, the training company had a different name back then. But the it was only six figure. I think it was even. Oh, my goodness. It, it was absolutely tiny. In fact, when I started working with you originally, I was only a year into the business and um, it was minuscule. Yes, it would have been six figures, but just. And I think we did like 20,000 profit in that first year. Uh, and actually, it wasn't that long ago that we had that debate. It was it was about 2016, so about four years ago. Wow. So uh, and where were you revenue-wise then? I, I want to say it was half a million, six hundred. It was. It was about half a million revenue. Okay. Yeah. So in that time, in this kind of uh, four-year window, we're recording this at the end of 2020, um, uh, wh- where are your revenues now? How much have we scaled? We, we're just heading towards three million. Yeah, uh, about about two point about about two point six million. Okay, I like you very much. So we're kind of four five hundred percent up in four years. So a rapid rate of growth, and mm. a lot of what's interesting about you, Nick, is when a lot of people grow, they think it's going to grow profitably, but they actually scale inefficiently, mm. and all of a sudden they eat into the margins and the extra um, the extra layers of staff. Uh, eat into their profits but yours is is the inverse They're like your your net margin is uh, uh correct me if i misspeak but as i understand it your net margin is significantly higher yeah for sure years ago for sure because i think that's that's down to the, the the idea that you have a certain amount of expenses that get you over the line of operating and after that you've got a nice kind of normally at least in my case a nice lot of leeway to kind of get more of juice out of that 
that set base of expense, you know, staff, office, whatever it might be. And so, yeah, it's been it's been kind of like highly profitable for, in that growth phase. Going back to your question around four years ago and that that conference, I guess I've got a couple of perspectives on it. I still have an awful lot of sympathy for where I was coming from, which was you could definitely aim for a hyper profitable business and not care about the revenue. And I agree that ultimately that's going to be what shows up in your bank account at some point, ideally. But there's something about revenue which gives you momentum of, of, of growth. And, and if you don't, I think if you only keep your eye on efficiency and profitability, um, then you can lose that kind of the forward motion. And so I still have quite an attachment to, to revenue and size and growth and that sort of thing. But it's also because I understand the essential working nature of my business. You know, I, I know roughly if I do this, it's going to show up as that and that's going to put this much in the bank. And I kind of know that essential structure and that helps me stay pretty clear. So when I focus on revenue, I also know what it means as profit. Well, I love that. And that takes us to the main thrust of this conversation. So I, I, I know we, we spoke about this on text, but uh, I'll, I'll ask you here now on tape, as it were. But I'm going to add a little caveat to So the question, Nick, as you know, is, what was the strategy? What was it, your your preferred or your, the, what was the strategy that made the biggest impact on seven figure profits? But I, I'll pose it um, uh, a couple of different ways and then you can answer in whatever order makes sense to you. I'd be interested to know what had the biggest impact from your thinking? Like how mm. did your thought process change, uh, uh, change to allow that rapid growth? Then what was the uh, external strategy within the business i maybe a marketing strategy and then any other aspect it might be it might be people related or some kind of internal company not outwardly visible strategy so mm. ultimately nick is there anything or another what 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 were the key differences that made the biggest difference but I'd be yeah so let me let me start with the, the the answer i gave you when you asked me a few days ago and i think it came as a surprise to you um but it was it was pricing and I remember joining your success mastermind or private mastermind. I can't remember which. And at the time, there was a sort of a coach that, that worked alongside one-to-one. And I had a call with him and he said, like, what do you want to achieve as a result of being part of Dan's mastermind? And I was like, I need to put my prices up. And he was like, well, that's easy. Just do it. And I'm like, but, it, you know, it's a, it's a big shift. It's going to be a lot of, it's going to be a quite a big uprise and in, in, uh, increase in the price and da 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 and actually, it was relatively easy to do, but I still felt it was important for me to really think of it strategically. It wasn't just a case of going like, well, let's whack a thousand quid on and see what happens. It, I, had to, I had to do it strategically. But the reason why I say that was the biggest thing was because it brought cash into the business. And, um, and, and I just think that it's almost impossible to over or under, whatever it is, overemphasize the importance of cash. Once you've got it, you realize how important it is. When you don't have it, you kind of think it's normal not to have it. And you just scrape along, making your business just about work and kind of figuring out how can, I pay, how can you pay your staff and doing all that kind of stuff. And then when you've got cash, you never have to have that thought again. You just pay your staff. You don't go like, when I hear all these entrepreneurs just about making payroll, I think what a nightmare to have that as your experience. So cash was huge. Get cash in the business. Because what I found was when we put the course price up, not only did we make more profit per sale, but we actually sold a lot more. I'm talking double. So you can imagine the cash impact of that on a business when you're not only making more profit per sale, but you're making twice as many of those sales. 
So there's a whole lot of cash came in. Now, the corollary of that was I could do an awful lot more stuff to grow the business. I could spend more on marketing. I could spend more on staff. I could spend more, spend more on branding. Whatever it was, all of a sudden, the options were just there. I didn't have to kind of go, I wish I could do this, but I can't. Go for it, Dan. Sorry. So, yeah, let me, let me challenge. See, see, I love this, uh, Nick. And obviously, I, I remember I saw the results. It's like, oh, you've you know, significantly increased the prices and the conversion rate went up and you're selling yeah. more units. It was, it was, I think everybody in that group was, their mind was, was blown. And um, actually uh, two points on this one. I don't know if you've seen this, Nick, you might find this interesting. Um, I'll listen to a uh, Tim Ferriss interview with um, Daniel Ek, who's the mm. uh, CEO of uh, Spotify. Right. And it, he's Swedish. And anyway, it was quite an interesting. I've not thought about it from this perspective, but he was saying how um, uh, he was talking about culture, Swedish and American, and cutting to the chase, it was that that um, Swedish culture is is much more unemployment is much better, etc. And he says mm. that he actually think that helps entrepreneurship, where Americans kind of like do or die, do whatever it takes. But he says actually having the support of the state means that he felt freed up to be more innovative because he's got that margin. He's got that cushion. I know that's not exactly what you said, but in a sense, that's what cash and cash flow allows you to do. It's not constantly stressed firefighting. You've now got a buffer with which to go, you know what? I can experiment. And worst case, like I'll try this idea, marketing campaign or whatever, and it goes wrong. Uh, It doesn't matter. And it doesn't derail, but ultimately you come up with more innovative solutions. So Mm. a second point, which is a question for you is, why do you think most uh, business owners struggle to do it? Because uh, for you, it worked. But I suspect a lot of business owners would say, actually, I can't charge more because the market's not going to bear it. How would you respond to that? Well, I don't know if I've got a response that's appropriate to somebody listening per se, but I have an attitude, which is you've got to make your business work for you. And so I have this acronym, which is LIFE, and it stands for Lifestyle, Impact, Finance, and Emotion. And I always kind of get people who think about a business to go, well, you know, what's the lifestyle you want? What's the impact you want to make, et cetera? And I think if if the business isn't achieving that for you, then something is fundamentally broken and you've got to go back to the drawing board. Now, is is that about expenses? Is it about price? Is it about you're in the wrong business? But if, if, if it's not working, then it's not what you really, really want to have. So it's more about that. Now, why other people don't make it work or I honestly don't know. I, I, I often, I think it's just a mindset thing, you know, because let's be honest, Dan, you can look at any profession, any industry, and you'll see people charging way more than you are or than somebody, you know, in your, and you're just like, how do they do it? Well, they're doing it. So clearly it's possible, but you're holding yourself back. So my gut feeling is it's a mindset thing more than anything, rather than a, a market thing. You've just got to go like, how do I get to the right people? Very nice. I like that. And and talking about right people, or, or, or it doesn't have to be people focused. Um, I should note for the people uh, listening, or I, I, we might put the video of this out. You're you're currently on your boat, Nick, and I think this. I, I think that's a great example of you. You use your business to create a lifestyle that you yeah. want. And I don't know how how long have you you've been traveling around now with two you? years, two years now, two years. On your uh, on your boat, traveling around, uh, uh, which I love. You definitely made it work for you. What mm. what would you say made the biggest difference in a, in not just making the money, Nick, but yeah. actually the business not being dependent upon you? It runs mm. fundamentally without you. What, what yeah, you yeah. 
I, I remember reading the e-myth years ago and um by my michael gerber working on the business not in the business and all that kind of stuff and that's really the thing most people take away from that but the thing i took away in a very big way was this idea of the organizational chart and you fill every spot on that org chart and then you replace yourself from the bottom up so if you're doing the cleaning at some point you get a cleaner and you're like phew no more cleaning and at some point you end up as the ceo and that really stuck with me now it took a long time for it to sort of manifest as a as a, a practical reality but bit by bit i worked away again how do i make myself like unnecessary in that field and i remember i used to be the guy that would do this the the, the, the kind of the seminar the introduction to coaching and i i have got a particular style when i teach and when i train all those kind of stuff and people were like oh nick you can't stop doing that because you're why they buy it and i said well if that's true guys then the business is broken so I never attached my own sense of worth and self-esteem to any part of the business where I said, oh, my goodness, the business will be lost without me. If I felt that, then I felt like, wow, I'm already in a broken business. So I had, I had a real attitude of not wanting to be indispensable, and which meant that I could find ways to go, well, even if they come in and they do the job 80% as well as I do, the fact that I can now get five of them doing it means I've got 400% of me. <laughs> uh, and that worked really well because now I've got loads of people doing those introduction days. We're running 16 a month, whereas when I was doing it, we were running two a month. You know, So it just allows for scale. And I did that all the way through, even to the point of thinking I could replace myself as CEO and then briefly having a flirt for six months with just being a shareholder. But I recognized I wasn't ready for that. Like emotionally, when I say emotionally, I was like, I still had an awful lot of urge to go, that's not okay. I want my business to do this. Well, that's a CEO's role. So I had to come back and say, actually, guys, I'm really sorry. I want to be the CEO again. But it was really just about recognizing where am I really, really important? Where am I best placed within this business? Yeah, I love that. And, and uh, a lot of questions uh, come off the back of that. I, I, I think sometimes, Nick, I've, I find that people, um, and I'll speak a little bit cryptically because I didn't ask you permission to share this story, but um, sometimes people hire because they're trying to scale up and they just eat away all their profits because they're not efficient. So I'm in favor of, and I take your point about firing yourself, et cetera, bottom up org chart. And I think that's a great process. I mean, obviously the e-myth is a classic, but the, the uh, sometimes people hurt themselves. And I remember one particular role in your business and I can't remember why, but the person left or was fired. I don't remember which. And then, because it was a surprise, either way, it was it was done. It was relatively abrupt. I don't know if it was a personal crisis or or or, or uh, misconduct. I don't remember. But but you then were like, okay, I'll cover it whilst I get somebody else to do the role. And then you came back uh, to the next meeting, and I recollect you saying, "I paid this person X a year. Don't remember the number, 30, 40, 50 grand, whatever it was. And actually, I can do this job in two hours a week or whatever mm -hmm. it was." Like, so I suppose just trying to counterbalance your own example. Do you remember that story? And, and what would your words be to entrepreneurs that have got the habit of burning through all their profit because they've got an idea of how they should scale and then don't do it very well? I don't particularly remember that story, but I can definitely imagine it being the case because I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, I feel I can do most roles in my business better than other people and much quicker. I'm not sure that's a good reason to do it, though. Because ultimately, there's still only one of me. And, and so I probably did do it. And I probably did step out of it again uh, at some point. My, so I, this probably isn't what you're hoping I'm going to say or, or expect me to say. But my gut feeling is sometimes you just got to get burnt in order to learn. 
because my feeling is that we can wait and wait and wait until we figured out this perfect strategy and we still hire the wrong person or we still can't let go emotionally or whatever it might be. And actually, if your desire, and it's only a big if really, because not everybody feels this way, but if your desire is to take a step back and you know, be more distant, be more of a CEO than, a, than an operator, then sometimes you just got to take the risk and give it a shot, you know, and then, and then if you get burnt by that, well, you learn to a lesson. You know, when, I, when I, I, I stepped back in 2018, at the end of 2018, to move on to the boat, and I, my attitude was kind of like, well, let's see what happens. Case sera, sera. If it goes, If it goes badly, well, at least we'll, we'll know what the, what the system's currently capable of, and I'm willing to take that risk. And it didn't go badly, but it def- definitely went down for the first time ever. We started to... to you know, uh, get worse results than the previous year because every year we've doubled, 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 and all of a sudden we weren't doubling; we were shrinking. And so halfway through the year, I was like, "I'm not happy with this. I'm going to come back in and reshape it, shake things back up, reposition people, get rid of a few people, whatever." But I never regretted that six-month trial. I didn't go like, "Ah, oh, damn! I wish I'd never stepped out. I've lost that much money." It's like, no, that's how I learned. Now let me do it a bit better. So I kind of figured that that's just all part of the process, and I do get that if you're in a, a tight profit margin business, that could be really, really risky. I'm in a pretty fat profit margin business. And so I can have those dodgy periods because it still makes good profit either way. So I, I don't have universal advice, but I do kind of think sometimes you just take the risk and then you've got to, but you've got to learn from it, Dan. Like if you just keep making the same damn mistake all the time and you keep burning through profit, at some point you've got to go like, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> you know, what am I not learning? What am I not taking on board? I keep making the same mistake. Well, even talking to the fat profit margin comment i, I kind of go the thing that you do very well nick is um uh, by my judgment is you, you don't spend cash so so because um because you could be in a tight business but i strongly suspect you you naturally just kind of not going out there to spend the money on lifestyle you've got the things that you want you don't need to go and buy out go and buy a ferrari okay mm. so so all of a sudden you've got a pile of cash and that's what gives you the buffer you know the yes. margin it's not irrelevant, but but obviously, um, uh, if you've got a big pile of cash in the bank relative to the business size, even if you make mistakes that cause you to lose money, it doesn't matter if it's only 5% of, uh, of your cash balance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I, sorry, that's I, was gonna say, I remember you saying to me, uh, maybe six months ago or so, you were like, Nick, you could take out 50,000 quid and burn it and not be affected by it. And I said, well, Dan, I think I probably have because I'm getting a new app developed, a SaaS product, uh, which, 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 by the way, I still am and it's nearly finished and it still has only cost me 50,000, which is good. But I was always prepared that that might have been wasted 50,000 quid. But for me, that was an, it was an investment risk rather than an expense risk or a luxury risk. It was like, if this pays off, not only can I um, much more easily release new businesses much schools because one of the one of the kind of the bottlenecks is how do you administer all the people coming through a training school not only can i do that but potentially it becomes an independent SaaS product one day so for me it was more of an uh, of an investment risk yeah no i love that and again relative to size right Uh, if I suspect if fifty thousand pounds was all the cash that you had, it, like it could be the best app idea in the world. It wouldn't yeah. be. It wouldn't have been a wise bet, right? What's your view, Nick? Um, and I am aware that I'm speaking to a training company owner. But what's your view, uh, or a coach training company owner? What's your opinion or views on uh, for people listening on masterminds, on mentors, on coaching? And equally, I'm happy for you to. Uh, uh, surprise me with your with, with your answer because uh, by default you'd you'd expect people to go oh, well yes you you should get it but 
can you talk within that? Like, what, yeah, what I definitely can. The difference in a a good one or a bad one, or how should somebody think about it to support their growth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I am my my whole meta position on life is to figure out what works for you. So I'm not a big advocate of coaching per se. I'm a big advocate for coaching if coaching is the right thing um, for somebody. And it's the same for me. It's like with, I've always got so much value from the masterminds I do with you. But what I find for myself personally is I do about six months with you. I get that gives me massive clarity. And then it's like, I don't need anything else for a while. I need to just go and do. And then I'll go and do it. And at some point, I'll reach a point where I feel clarity or frustrated or ready for the next step. And I'll be like, ah, I think I'll go back to Dan and get another injection. But I see other people who get great value from you year after year after year after year. And I think it's about just going like, what works for you? Is that one-to-one coaching? Is it a mastermind group? Is it a, you know, is it mentoring? Is it, is it teaching? Like, what have you got to do that's going to fill your motivation gaps, your knowledge, knowledge gaps, your whatever, strategic gaps, whatever it is for you. And so that's my ways. I just like a big fat adrenaline injection from you for about six months and then like leave me alone for two years because <laughs> yeah. you know you and i've been working together on and off for 10 years and each time it's i come back to you when i'm ready for a new spurt of growth yeah i love it i love it great so nick if uh, people have loved this conversation they want to find out more about you or animas what's where should they go what should they do if they want to find out about animas then go to animascoaching.com and that's like animals but without the l so it's animas coaching.com and out of interest just so you know it comes from anima which means the breath of life and animus which is the seat of courage and so it's my metaphor for living life courageously where, where the courage is to face the truth and live and so if anyone wants to um to check it out animascoaching.com me personally i'm much more under the radar nobody can get hold of me lest uh, they bump into me somewhere by accident <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah they're gonna they got to get a canal boat and exactly around the country. Yeah. But, uh, Nick, I've loved this conversation. I'm sure people have gotten a lot of value from it. So uh, thanks, thank then. You very much. Been great. Cheers, then. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Three things you need to do now. Number one, make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you do not miss an episode. Also, get on over to Amazon to get a copy of my latest book, Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity: Nine and a Half Steps to Improving Your Profits and Cash Flow. Also. Join our Facebook group, the Turnover is Vanity, Profit is Sanity community to connect with other business owners.